The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. No tariffs for Mexico yet. President Trump says that he's going to give Mexico more time before he decides whether or not to raise tariffs. But now we're talking about China. President Trump also saying that he will raise Chinese tariffs again if President Xi Jinping of China won't meet at the G20. We've since learned that President Xi is still anticipated to attend the G20. Plus, the U.S. also weighing more sanctions over Iran, potentially over trade with the Europeans. But first, before we get to all of that, a very special guest, the first time she's appeared on television or radio, the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Kathy Craninger, is here in studio in Washington, D.C. We're going to bring you that exclusive interview what a really weird weather day. It was raining. It's not raining. It's Monday, folks, and we're going to talk all things about the hot and cold trade policy and the signals coming out of the White House and what folks up on Capitol Hill have to say about that. But before we get to that, we have a very special guest, the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Kathy Craninger. She is here in studio with us, the CFPB director. And, and look, I think most people direct. First of all, thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. Now, I remember covering the inception of the CFPB when Senator Elizabeth Warren really created this thing uh, back when she was a Harvard law professor. Now, candidly, you and her have very different uh, ideological bends on, on the CFPB. But what exactly does the CFPB do and is the goal of this government agency? So, Kevin, it is precisely to protect consumers in the financial uh, marketplace for products and services that are uh, financially related. And it, is cre it was created uh, in the wake of the financial crisis, and that's really uh, formative in terms of what its responsibilities are and where it, where it goes. Uh, but, but frankly, it's there to look out for consumers. And a few different tools that we have that Congress gave us to carry that out, education being first and foremost. So getting involved in financial education, uh, really supporting consumers so they have the information they need to make the best decisions for themselves. Uh, that's, that's job one. Uh, and then regulation, uh, we certainly do create clear rules the road for financial institutions and those that are offering services and products. Uh, supervision of those institutions so that we're examining them to make sure they're complying with the law. And then enforcement, uh, really taking action against those bad actors in the marketplace who are seeking to uh, take advantage of consumers. 
I remember when I covered previous House Financial Services Committee Chairman Jeb Hunterling, and he, he dubbed the CFPB the rogue regulator. The rogue regulator. How have you tried to change the perception amongst the business community? Uh, in your first, you've only been there for six months, but in your six months there, how have you tried to, to, to signal to the business community that you want, you want to let them in on the process of these rules? It really starts with proactive dialogue and transparency, and that's frankly not just for the business community, but for consumer advocates as well, uh, the public, educators. We have so many stakeholders that care about what the Bureau does, and my focus has really been on that process and making sure that we are open to feedback, that we are actually out there and soliciting that input, demonstrating that we're making adjustments based on the experiences of consumers in the marketplace and businesses that are offering those services. Kathy Kraninger, she is the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. She's joining us in studio here in Washington for an exclusive interview. Dodd-Frank, the 2010 Dodd-Frank Law, it actually mandates that the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, will define uh, what exactly abusive practices are. Personally, I think if you're getting abused by a financial institution or, or, or a business is taking advantage of a consumer, you know what the definition is. But I guess the lawyers need a definition. So how are you going to help define what abusive practices are. That impacts a lot of businesses. No, you're absolutely right. So we do have a responsibility to take action against unfair, uh, abusive, and deceptive practices and acts in the marketplace. And the word abusive is kind of a new one uh, in the statutory context. And so there is some interest on the business front to make sure that we are clear on what that actually means. So we are taking, again, in that uh, really push for productive and proactive dialogue, a symposia series. We're going to bring in experts who are going to talk about this. We're going to live stream the event. It's going to be on June 25th, and we're really going to get their perspectives on how we better define this, or frankly, if it really needs a regulatory definition. And then we'll take the right actions from there based on the comments and feedback we get and the input from those experts. So when Senator Elizabeth Warren and Democrats say you want to weaken the agency, you say... Uh, that is absolutely not the case. I think uh, it's unfortunate, frankly, with the history of this agency that it turned into a bit of a ping pong. It's a political pinata. Yes. Uh, and that really is unfortunate because we all care about protecting consumers. Uh, we all care about fair, competitive, and transparent marketplaces. And we want to, uh, frankly, put forth the right rules to set off the economy in the right direction and, and really do uh, our part in that space. And so that's what I am focused on. So the, the, the Trump administration doesn't want to shut down, and you don't want to shut down the CFPB? No, Congress gave me a job to do, and I am doing that job. And if they want to make changes uh, to the structure or other things about the agency, uh, I will certainly carry that out uh, as well if those get enacted. We were talking about this in the break in between the Bloomberg TV segment and, and now this, but about financial literacy and about the, the work that you're doing for financial literacy for veterans, for service members, for their families, and also for, uh, for young people as well. Uh, tell me about the financial literacy aspects of the CFPB. No, it's a, it's a fantastic part of our mission. We really look very carefully at all of the different uh, populations. Congress gave us a focus on older Americans, too, a lot of issues uh, oh. with elder abuse and fraud there uh, for service members, their families, and veterans. Uh, vulnerable populations, students. Uh, so we really do have a focus area on a lot of different populations and what their education needs are, uh, what we see in the marketplace. And we provide a lot of different 
uh, products uh, in terms of educational products uh, to meet those needs. And you've done, tell me, you were just in, I believe it was Texas, you were down in Texas for veterans. Yes, yes, had a fantastic event. At Hopefully got some barbecue. <laughs> I, I did get some, I Good. did get some barbecue. Uh, that, yeah, that's essential, uh, but we had a fantastic uh visit to Joint Base San Antonio, mm. had family members, active uh, duty service members there, and we were uh, launching what we call Misadventures in Money Management. So it's actually a game uh, to help service members walk through financial decisions. They choose their own adventure and see what the outcome is. And frankly, doing that in, via the game and, and via the video, rather than in real life, helps them understand what the implications are of the decisions they're making. Yeah, we, we talk about, you know, uh, being physically fit. We got to be fiscally fit as well. My very special thanks to Kathy Craninger. She is the CFPB director, the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Thank you for hanging out with Bloomberg this afternoon. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much for having me. And coming up, more fallout for the Trump administration and Democrats. We talk all, thing, po all things politics and policy, the latest on the tariff front. We've got Eli Yokely, political reporter for The Morning Consult, and Mark Ross, founder of Caracal Global. They will break it down for us. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. We're kickstarting another week, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. From government regulations to geopolitics, fascinating conversation with CFPB director Kathy Craninger, her first television and radio interview. She's the director of the CFPB, and I got to be honest, I mean, she takes it from the left, from the right. I mean, everyone's constantly going after the, those government regulations. I appreciate her time. And now I want to pivot, though, back to geopolitics and trade policy. We've got Eli Yokely and Mark Ross to help navigate through this. They were so good the last time when I was in Philadelphia holding down the fort here in Washington that I said, I got I to gotta get in on the fun. Eli is a political reporter for Morning Consult. Mark Ross, of course, is the founder of Caracal Global. Mark, I'll, I'll take it from you because President Trump, he called in. I love the Trump call-in interviews, by the way, to our competitor, CNBC. Good interview. You got to give him credit. Uh, about the uh, his decision to delay the tariffs against Mexico. Here's the president of the United States on his decision. This is something the U.S. has been trying to get for over 20 years with Mexico. They've never been able to do it. As soon as I put tariffs on the table, it was it was done. It took two days. So, Mark, what exactly did we get? Um, well, I think it depends who you talk to. I think if you listen to the White House, uh, they put out a uh, statement today. They called it historic, the deal they made with Mexico. They also promised additional buying of goods, possibly corn. Uh, but we really don't know. But if nothing you, was signed. Nothing was signed. It was a one-pager that was put out late on Friday. And uh, all we really have is uh, Trump's word that something historic happened. But it, and then they also said, and he tweeted this out around the same time of the CNBC interview or right after, that if Mexico doesn't follow through, that he's just going to increase the tariffs as well. And that it actually has to go through Mexico's government to get approval. But, and I'm, but, uh, but I'm confused. So that has to happen. But then... 
Congress still has to ratify USMCA. So procedurally, walk me through the hurdles. Well, this is uh, much more complicated than um, just a bill on Capitol yeah. Hill. So I think the key thing is uh, the Mexican government, in Trump's defense, the Mexican government has said, listen, we're going to put forces, we're going to deploy our National Guard, which is a new development. We're going to put 6,000 troops on the southern border, and we're going to attempt to slow down immigrants coming from Central America. So that's positive. I think that what is interesting behind the scenes is, uh, did Mexico basically promise something they were all going to do? Did they uh, diplomatically find a way to placate Trump, and did they give him a win, right? And I think uh, it doesn't really matter, you know, what the deal was, right? It really only matters what the president thinks happened, and then we do have a deal, if that makes sense. All right, so meanwhile, Eli, if that wasn't enough, so now we've got to wait for a bill to pass Mexico's government. We still don't know what the forecast is for USMCA and whether or not we're going to get that by August. Now we're suddenly talking about U.S.-China tariffs again if President Xi Jinping, who says he's showing up to the, the G20 in Osaka, Japan, but, we, but like there's chatter that he might not. There was conflicting reports in the Chinese state-run media about whether he would go. Well, here's the president on, uh, on uh, China Talks on CNBC. Here he is. We don't have a deal. If we don't make a deal, then we will be uh, raising the tariffs, meaning putting the tariffs on more than, uh, you know, we've, we've only taxed 35 to 40 percent of what they send in. Uh, they have another 60 percent, and that'll be taxed. I just feel like, Eli, these issues are getting conflated. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a bilateral trade discussion, but it's a multilateral response. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on here. I think he senses some blood in the water on trade. He saw that he could make Mexico move, and now he's looking to see what, what China can do. Um, th- you know, this is probably a bigger deal. What will be interesting to see is what Republican senators and what Republican lawmakers do. They stood up pretty strongly last week against uh, President Trump in ways that we hadn't really seen a lot of uh, before. And so if that continues with China, I think that'll be a pretty big deal. So what were they doing with China? Or what pressure can Republicans put on the president besides just going out and tweeting and, and talking about it? Because, I mean, in the same CNBC interview, the president completely lambasted the Chamber of Commerce as, as a warning sign. The chamber had come out against the tariffs. And he's just saying, well, they don't understand. And last week, the president criticized Republican senators, Republican senators, for coming out against him on tariffs. So what really feasibly can... Republicans do Mark Ross, founder of Caracol Global, to to prevent to to prevent this type of pushback. Can they do anything? I think the situation is interesting because Mexico is one thing, and I think that's tied in with immigration. I think there's a lot of agreement on both sides of the aisle that China has not been playing f- fair. That in fact tariffs are a good thing. That there should be pushback, right? But the idea that these are the same thing is not the correct approach. Now, that may be the way that President Trump is seeing them, that tariff is now a tool that he can use to move markets, shape foreign policy, placate domestic constituencies. The challenge is, going forward, how do businesses react and know where to plan, right? Like, and It's also an amazing moment in American po- politics where they're U.S. Chamber of Commerce is on the wrong side of the Republican Party here. I mean, that's not something we've seen for a really long time. And, and We're on the wrong that, side of the president. Yeah, well, Not I mean, necessarily the Republican Party, because, well, as you know yeah. better than anyone, on Republicans on Capitol Hill are still on yeah. the side of the chamber. Well, Republican voters, as we know at Morning Consulate, follow Trump pretty closely. And mm-hmm. where he goes, they usually follow. And even on these trade issues, we've seen Republican voters across the country have been pretty supportive. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk more policy and politics, plus the the freshest headlines off of the Bloomberg Terminal. Alex Wayne just stumbled in 
to the Sound On Studios. He's the White House editor for Bloomberg News. Eli Yokely stays. Mark Ross stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli, and I'll stick around, too. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I am joined to talk all things politics and policy by Eli Yokely. He's a political reporter for Morning Consult. Mark Ross, founder of Caracal Global, which specializes in the intersection of globalization as well as politics from around the world. And Alex Wayne. Alex Wayne is Bloomberg News White House team leader. He oversees all of the White House coverage here in our Washington bureau. Alex, the headlines are crossing the Bloomberg terminal as we speak. President Trump had a lot to say about impeachment calls from Democrats. John Dean, remember him? John Dean, he was up on Capitol Hill earlier today testifying before the House Judiciary Committee. He, of course, is the former White House counsel to Nixon. Nixon, the, you know, the president who got impeached. So President Trump, you can't oh, make one. it up. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, what did, I want to read it. I mean, I'm not going to do the impersonation. Everyone has a Trump impersonation. President Trump told reporters at the White House after the Dean testimony, quote, he left. I don't leave. This is referring to Richard Nixon. He left. I don't leave. Big difference. I don't leave. We did nothing wrong except create the greatest economy in the history of our country. We did nothing wrong except rebuild our military like nobody's ever seen before. Our, uh, our senior reporter, Margaret Talev, remarked after, after this came out, I want to give her credit for this thought. She was like, we, we may one day in the future remember the time that Donald Trump uh, stood on the South Lawn of the White House and told reporters that he's nothing like Nixon. Well, here's what he had to say about John Dean. Here's President Trump within the last hour on John Dean. John's been a loser for a long time. We know that. I think he was disbarred and he went to prison. Other than that, he's doing a great job. Eli, is John Dean a loser? I, I don't know. Um, you'd have to ask somebody <laughs> a lot more smart than I am. Um, I think John Dean could be a problem for Trump. I mean, he said some pretty striking quotes that can be put on TV. I mean, that's why uh, you, you saw House Democrats trying to get Robert Mueller up on the Hill, and they're still working on it. But uh, they've got a couple sound bites today, so that, 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 that's useful. You know, John Dean made, a, made an interesting point in this hearing today. Uh, Democrats have gotten a lot of flack from Republicans for even holding it and for inviting this guy from the 70s to poke his head back up and, and testify. But the, the important thing John Dean said was that the Mueller report is not widely known among the public. Not many Ameri- average American citizens have read the thing in its entirety. Uh, probably not a lot of people have even read the news reporting on it. Uh, and so what... Not House, our audience. Exactly. What House Democrats can do with, with hearings like this is educate the public about what's in the report. And it's not just, you know, you can't boil it down to no collusion, no obstruction, that, as, as the president says. That's not an accurate summary of what the Mueller report says. 
Kevin, this is one of the things we've noticed at Morning Consult. Every week we track a lot of the news events and what's breaking through. And a lot of the Mueller developments that have been happening, less than like a third of voters say they've heard a lot about these things. A lot, what have which, they not been, what have they been doing? It's all over the news. Like I'm not, lives, I mean, I know our audience, yeah. our audience <laughs> follows it though, but I mean, come on, like how do you not follow the news? Yeah, well, you got a life, right? Um, one other thing that we, we, we found last week. What are you week, implying, are you talking, Eli? Are you talking yeah. To Kevin? yeah, what are yeah, you implying? I don't have a Kevin life? Thing. Yeah. Okay, appreciate it, um, appreciate it. One of the things we found last <laughs> week was like half of voters said that the Mueller thing wasn't going to affect their vote at all next year. And so that's a pretty good chunk of folks who don't really care about this. So Democrats have got a lot of work on their hands trying to get folks to uh, be worried about this. Mark Ross, founder of Caracal Global. You know who's really, really annoyed about today's developments? Roger Stone. You know Roger Stone is listening to President Trump talking about Richard Nixon saying, quote, he left, I don't leave. This is in reference to Richard Nixon and, and trashing John Dean. I mean, you know that somewhere in America, in a, is he – in jail, right? Roger Stone? Yeah. Uh, is he behind bars? He's nope. waiting? I think he's waiting. He's waiting. Yeah. He's waiting sentencing. He's like, come on, I wish I could. He's foaming at the mouth. Hasn't right? even had his trial yet, right? No, I, I go ahead. He's but going to trial, I believe. Yeah. yeah. I, I just think it's a very interesting strategy. I mean, right. we haven't even started impeachment hearings, and President Trump is already making the case that he's not like Nixon and he won't leave the White House. I can't imagine that this was on the talking points for today's <laughs> White House, what we're going to talk about. You don't think Sarah Sanders handed, that, handed him that one before? I don't uh, see, yeah, <laughs> Kellyanne Conway saying, this said, is what we're leading with today. He but said we, this, by the way, at a, uh, at a uh, he was recognizing the uh, the NASCAR champion. No, the Indy 500 champion. Oh, I'm sorry. You're, you're totally right. Botch that on here. <clears throat> the one thing, one, I do not follow sports cars. Um, but I want to say this, though, in, in all seriousness, I mean, President Trump, and we make light of this to some extent, but President Trump, by saying that he's not going to leave, is is, is daring Democrats to begin impeachment proceedings. He has been for months. Well, and he has been for months, and daring Democrats to say, go down this impeachment proceeding trail. Speaker Pelosi, go down this piecemeal approach. Keep talking about the, the notion of impeachment, because if you're talking about impeachment to Eli's points, to the pollsters' points, then you're not talking about infrastructure. You're not talking about ways to work with Republicans. And the Republicans that I'm talking with are saying that's their gamble, Eli, to get to independent voters in these key states, which is put all Democrats in the impeachment camp, to remove them from trying to work with Republicans and say, see that they're not able uh, to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I think that's been the play just broadly for Republicans has been to sort of radicalize the left. I mean, and talk about abortion, talk about socialism, accusing everybody of being for impeachment. All these issues sort of build on themselves. And, you know, you see a number of Democrats moving toward the impeachment talk, sort of leaning into this. And Nancy Pelosi's not there yet. It doesn't seem like she's going to get there, but she's going to say everything she can to help help appease some of these folks in the House. Alex, is this does the president's comments today by saying he's not leaving, by, by trashing John Dean, the Nixon lawyer, uh, and does John Dean's testimony before the House Judiciary Committee, does that, how does that influence what Speaker Pelosi has to do with the impeachment chatter in her party? You know, I, I mean, I, since we're making Nixon comparisons, let's talk about the, the, the Nixon impeachment timeline. I think people forget about this, like 40 years later, uh, how, how long it took. You know, the, the break-in, the Watergate break-in happened in June 72 before – uh, before the election that year. Then then uh, the Post started reporting on it. Nixon won election in a landslide. He destroyed George McGovern. He had way more political capital than Trump had when he won in 2016. And then like a, there was continued reporting, some investigations. Impeachment proceedings in the House didn't even begin until May 1974. 
and they took three months. And three months, they uh, they destroyed Rich, Richard Nixon's political capital, uh, painting him as a criminal, and he resigned in July, uh, facing an impeachment vote. But right now, Mark, when you look at the land, the math, and the Senate, there's no chance that he would be convicted. Yeah, well, we don't know that, right? Until you actually can, you know, if you look at it today, yeah, sure, but we haven't actually had the trial. As Alex said, we haven't laid out the case for impeachment. Uh, half the Americans haven't read the Mueller report. Um, I think you're also looking at a Nancy Pelosi, who I argue is the smartest person in this town in terms of understanding politics and national communications. By her saying that she's not for impeachment, when in fact she may come out and for it, right? That'll even make the case even more strong. And also, I you think you need to look at in 2000, which was I looked is interesting. Gore uh, didn't really use Clinton on the campaign trail because he was tainted. And George W. Bush, one of his famous taglines is he's like, "I'm going to restore the dignity." to the Oval Office. So I think this is a long way to go. We have a lot more to happen. The idea that it's going to happen overnight and the idea that just because the Senate isn't going to formally convict Trump to not do impeachment, I think there are a lot of people on the Hill that are like, we can't stand for this. It would also be quite a power play for Nancy Pelosi to try to put Susan Collins, Cory Gardner, and some of these other senators on the record on this. I mean, as they face tough electorates next year, um, you kind of wonder how sure their votes might be on something like that. But to your point, the electorate right now doesn't care. Yeah. Right? I mean, is that what the polls say? And then I don't want to say they don't yeah. care, but they're not, impeachment isn't high on their radar. It's not, it is for Democrats, but it's not for everybody else. And going back to 2000, I think it's really important. We don't, what would happen to what Eli is saying? Like maybe the, Dem so the Democrats don't get it done in the House, but that is the rallying cry for 2020, right? Let's make sure we get out our base. Let's make sure we vote Trump out of office. Maybe that is the rallying cry. So impeachment, uh, I think it still has a long way to go. Clearly it's agitating the president or he wouldn't be making all these crazy comments. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally on his mind. Um, but I, I think he, I think he, right now he's da he's still daring Democrats to to jump into impeachment, and he wants them to do it do it prematurely. He wants them to do it now, uh, while his approval ratings uh, aren't in the toilet. Um, versus, you know, a year from now, uh, when you know the the Democrats maybe manage to build a body of evidence supporting a case for impeachment, and and his and his approval ratings are, are how much do worse. they do that though beyond the Mueller report hearings the hearings like the one they had today except you know they need to get they need to eventually get uh, real witnesses not no offense to John Dean but wow. but people people who who have experience with what Mueller was investigating and not necessarily just people who you know. From tariffs to, to John Dean. Coming up, we're going to pivot back to policy. Alex Wayne, Bloomberg News White House team leader, Mark Ross, founder of Caracol Global. Eli Yokely, he is a reporter for the Morning, the morning Consult. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 at 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. 
I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I mean, it's really been a marathon eco-policy news day. Plus, you throw in John Dean, who was testifying before the House Judiciary Committee, and you got yourself an eventful Monday, which is why I'm thrilled to have Eli Yokely, political reporter for the morning, consult with me in studio, as is Mark Ross, founder of Caracal Global, a communications firm which specializes in the intersection of advising businesses on the rise of globalization. And Alex Wayne, Bloomberg News White House team leader. Alex, I'll start with you, uh, because the president, when in that CNBC exclusive interview, uh, he, he weighed in on the, on the Fed currency manipulation question, which seems to be discussed every now and again. And I'll play for you a bite of the president talking about uh, currency and the Fed. Here's President Trump talking about China currency and the Fed. Here he is. They devalue their currency. They have for years. It's put them at a tremendous competitive advantage. And we don't have that advantage because we have a Fed that doesn't lower interest rates. We have a Fed that raises interest rates the day before a bond issue goes out. So we have to pay more money. You tell me about that thinking, okay? So why is he dangling this currency devaluation carrot again? He keeps saying this, and yet his own Treasury Department disagrees with him. I mean, he promised during the campaign he would declare China a currency manipulator on his first day in office. Then Treasury came out with its first report under Trump that, didn't, that said China isn't manipulating its currency, and its second report said the same thing, and its third report and fourth report, and a couple weeks ago its fifth report. Uh, Treasury refuses to go along with Trump's opinion that, that China is manipulating its currency. And so he's done something inter- interesting. Uh, Commerce is coming out with a, a plan to uh, make its own determinations about whether countries are uh, messing with their currencies and, and possibly enact tariffs uh, if, if Commerce Department, if the Commerce Department decides that they are. This is supposed to be done in consultation with Treasury, but Arsalea Mosin has reported that there's some sparks between the two agencies because Treasury sort of thinks that's their turf. Nothing like a good agency turf war, Mark Ross. But, I, but, but I'm curious about the timing of all of this because the president uh, hitting pause with Mexico, saying he's not going to increase tariffs with Mexico as of now, dot, dot, dot. He's putting pause on the tariffs with Mexico as of now, and now he's going after China again ahead of the G20 in Osaka, Japan, in just a couple of weeks, uh, where he's set to meet with President Xi Jinping of China. So now he's, he's dangling the, the currency manipulation thing again. Yeah, the, the challenge with currency manipulation, it really is the way – where you sit is where you stand, right? That is the folks – What do you mean? The folks in Beijing, with our quantitative easing and some of the shenanigans we do with our monetary policy – they may have a different interpretation of what we're doing with our currency. So the idea that you know the U.S. government can sanction or label another sovereign government and tell them how to run their currency is a very dicey issue because the blowback is uh, not pretty. Uh, you, it's not something you can do willy-nilly. But certainly from a campaign talking point, it's fantastic. You know, this is even going back to uh, 2012. Romney, uh, you know, he too from day one was going to label China a campaign a currency manipulator. And this is something that fits well on a, on a campaign bumper sticker. But in terms of sound economic policy, it doesn't make sense. Also, I think Trump generally is someone who just likes to run against things. So having another foil in the Federal Reserve works for him. Well, you know, it is interesting to just, just to see how this president has, has criticized the central bank in such an aggressive way. And, and it's open for debate as to whether or not the Fed is, is listening to him. And now you've got the Democrats up on Capitol Hill pressing the Fed to look at Deutsche Bank and the financial dealings of, of, of the, the 
folks within the Trump administration and whatnot. Uh, so it, it's fascinating just how that's been politicized. I want to play one more bite, Eli, from the CNBC exclusive interview with President Trump earlier today about the debt uh, of China. And, and guess, speaking of foils, his favorite foil, not Fed Chair Jay Powell, not even Paul Ryan. There's the throwback. But Hillary Clinton. Take a listen to President Trump talking about China and Hillary Clinton. We picked up trillions of dollars in worth since I've been elected. China has lost many, many trillions of dollars. They're way behind. They were going to catch us. Had a Democrat gotten in, namely the one we're talking about, uh, China would have caught us by the end of her term. They're nowhere close. They'll never catch us. They'll never catch us. What a day. John Dean, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> you got. I mean, wow. Go ahead. Your response to yeah. Eli Yokely. It sounds like he's setting something up for 2020 on this. Um, and think actually, Hillary's going to run again. <laughs> well, well, I mean, that's, Kidding. I heard it here first on Sound On. <laughs> Um, but I think there is a weakness that, for Trump on trade. I think that um, we, we, we've asked about this recently, and the, the majority of Americans don't have confidence in the president, what he's doing on trade. Uh, this is something that I think that the Democrats could try to embrace uh, in going into 2020. But, uh, you know, look, it'll be interesting, especially with the ag stuff. I mean, this is a big deal in the Midwest, and, and you've already seen some of these Republican lawmakers uh, come out against some of his moves here. Mark, but how bad does it have to get before it becomes a political problem? As Eli hints, I mean, there's no really the, – the, it's not like farmers are, are deserting the president in droves. Well, it's true. Like, where are farmers going to go who are generally, you know, center-right voters anyways? But – and, you know, and also the Ag Department and the Trump administration has bought them off with, uh, you know, uh, bailouts. Where are they going to go? But I think – I do think – Trump's handling of trade and overall, like from a macro position, where the U.S. is going to be in terms of our role in globalization is certainly going to be on the ballot in 2020. You know, I think it's notable that like, he, he may get the, the rate cut that he, that he has been complaining about just by escalating the trade war with China. The Chairman Powell has been, has been making noises about that lately. And that becomes the biggest take. Of, I mean, but, but can, can President Trump take credit for that rate cut? Yeah, I think, well, can he? Well, the question no, is, mean, will he? He definitely he? will. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, yeah, he probably can. I mean, you know, a, a rate cut uh, by definition is a sign of some weakness in the economy, though. And so I don't, I don't, I don't know if he wants to take full credit and, and admit that um, there are some warning signals here. This was a very wonky episode of Bloomberg Radio's Sound On, but I do want to end on an even uh, on a geopolitical note by our colleague Nick Wadhams, Alex. He's got this story out on the Bloomberg Terminal this afternoon about the U.S. weighing more sanctions against Iran over potential trade with Europe. The U.S. Uh, Trump administration is weighing sanctions, according to Nick's reporting, against the Iranian financial body set up as the go-between for humanitarian trade with Europe. And this would likely sever the economic and humanitarian lifeline that France, Germany, and the U.K. have sought to create for Tehran. So that's fascinating to watch how the administration is still continuing to try to isolate Iran since uh, withdrawing from the Iranian nuclear disarmament deal. My thanks to Alex Wayne, Bloomberg News White House team leader, leader on a busy day where Trump did not stop talking, really, uh, to, to spend time with us to break it. And tra the Trump translator in chief, ladies and gentlemen, boring. Alex it's Wayne, Bloomberg boring. News 
White House team leader Mark Ross, founder of Caracal Global, and Eli Yokely, political reporter for the Morning Consult. I also want to thank Kathy Craninger. She is the director of the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes, on the Bloomberg Business app, or by checking us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.